Sunday, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And if you are not here on Wednesday night, I just want to really encourage you. Pastor Charles brought a message in prayer that was extremely poignant. Extremely poignant. Get the tape. Hebrews chapter 4. We are talking about the rest of faith. And I want to say to us, there is no way we can finish this message in weeks. So get ready for a marathon. I truly believe that when we fully apprehend this message, it's going to become a game changer for all of us. And I'm already hearing some powerful testimonies. Already. I'm hearing it already. i share a couple of them just as I get in message this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, they would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also seized from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. I was saying to you how powerful and truly revolutionary this entire concept of God's rest, which really deals with the grace of God upon his people, that if we fully come to that place of comprehension and understanding of what God has in store for us, I'm saying to you, it will change you like nothing else you ever know. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were in Maryland with our son, Pastor David, and they had entered into a business transaction with a particular corporation. I don't want to give all the details. And in fact, in the process of this transaction, they, David and his wife, defaulted in some areas. So when I got there, they said to me, Pastor, this is what's happening, this is what's happened. We tried to talk back to these people, and they just told us it's a closed door. You guys did not fulfill your part of the commitment. And therefore, our policy is we cannot do anything for you uh, uh, based on the situation that's on the ground. But if you reapply, we will consider bringing you back, but you will lose everything that you did prior to that moment. We were at the dining table. Hello, ma'am. Yes. Are you here? Yes, I'm here. Thank you very much. Yes, we were eating lunch, and they just shared it casually. I said, David, let's pray. We pray, we touch and agree. And I said to them, I said, you know what? God is a righteous God. We don't gloss over what we did that is wrong. So the beginning of the restoration is first of all, you guys must own up to your part in the transaction. As we pray, let us agree. Let us say to God, God, you know what? We didn't do A, B, C, D. But you are not so unrighteous in the new covenant era yes. where you have promised that you will show mercy in our unrighteousness. Yes. Yes. And our sins and lawlessness, you said you will remember no more. So let's 
invoke that. Let's bring God in and say, God, you know what? We were wrong in ABC. Haven't admitted our position. God, do your position. We pray. Simple prayer. I would have liked to tell you that as soon as we prayed, they came back and said everything was fine. No. In fact, after we prayed, things worsened. They told them, this is the rule. This is the policy. You violated it. No more. End of story. Two days ago, the man called me in excitement. Pastor! He greeted me and has greeted me. He said, my wife would not. My wife said, hurry, hurry, tell pastor, tell pastor. I said, what, what are you about to tell me? Because I've forgotten what happened. He said, they just called us a minute ago and sent out an email. Because what had happened was the person they were dealing with who was throwing the law at them. This is the policy of the company. You are in violation and therefore the door is closed. That person happened to have gone on maternity leave. And the replacement have not read the law. The replacement took their situation, looked at it, and said, you know what? I grant you everything you guys lost, and I backdate the transaction to the original. Oh, you guys don't understand. You don't hear what I'm saying to you. You don't understand what I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you, you serve a God that is bigger than every law that's written in the land. I'm trying to tell you, our God is bigger than your circumstance, is bigger than your situation, is bigger than your struggles, is bigger than your toils, is bigger than every struggle you face. Even when you thought your prayer was not heard, God was at work moving things in your favor. I don't know if you are here this morning. I'm telling you, God will move heaven and earth to show one person favor. Whatever you're faced with, if you just believe that God has settled it, that is a done deed, that God has already done it before he began it. If you just believe that, I dare you this morning to believe God. My job this morning is simple. I just want to show you heaven. I want to show you a place where it's already finished. I want to show you a realm where nobody's struggling. I want to show you a realm where they're not sweating. I want to show you a realm when it is already a done deal. And all they do all day long in a, in, to, to confirm it's done is just Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Heaven and that is bound down before him. They are giving him adoration and exaltation. They are magnifying his name because there they are not struggling. There they are not wondering. There they are not thinking. They already know it's a finished job. Somebody said, well, Pastor, that was, that was Pastor David. He's in Maryland. Okay. I heard you. You're right. Someone in this congregation, they're not here today. Just so if you have the gift of the spirit, I don't want you to start wondering who this pastor is talking about. And because they're not here, I will not mention their name. But they were in a situation where they almost took their house. And they applied for a loan modification. 
And he came back and told them, you are declined. And he came back and followed that with a letter to confirm that they had declined. Just this last week, minding their own business, haven't entered into the rest of God, haven't gotten to the place where they say, you know what? I can't do anything about it. Only God can fix it. And therefore, why am I killing myself? And they're full rank. And a person on the other line asks the question, do you want your house? This person they said, what kind of question is that? If I did not want my house, why am I applying for loan modification? This question doesn't make any sense. So I was, yes, I want my house. And a company said to them, if you want a house, you got it. We are remodifying your loan as of this minute. Oh, no, no, hear this, hear this. Because of the kind of person this person was, they are a lawyer. They have to have everything down in, uh, in, in legislation. They are an analytical lawyer. You know, you know how many lawyers are here? When God says, I want to bless you, say, God, how? Tell me, why would you do it? How many people will be there when you bless me? You lawyer God. Is anybody here like that? You argue with God about why he must bless you. So this person began to argue with them on the phone. He said, are you certain that this, this phone call is not a mistake? He said, no. Are you aware that you guys wrote me a letter that I was declared? They said, yes. Are you aware that you called my house and told me I'm declared? They said, yes. Ah. So why are you doing it? They went back and forth and back and forth and finally said, we are just doing it. So they said, okay, tell us, what is the terms of this new agreement? They said, well, if you pay this amount by December 1 and this amount in January and this amount in February, it's a done deal. So they asked the question, they said, okay, after Jan December, January, February, what happens thereafter? Do you see these lawyers? They said, nothing. You keep the mortgage for the time of the uh, mortgage life as long as you do that. Is that all? They said, that's all. Are you sure that's it? As I speak, it's a done deal. Why am I telling you these things? I am telling you because there's a perspective that's beyond the earth. There is another realm. You, some of us don't understand it. We, go, we don't get this. And that's my prayer that God will help us to understand it. That we enter into the place where we understand that you are a person that has two residences. Jesus said, I am in this world, but I'm not off the world. I carry two residential places. I carry two addresses. And at will, I can go back and forth if I want. Oh, I don't have nobody to preach to here this morning. I'm saying to you, you carry two IDs, two addresses. Two addresses. Our problem is we are so tied onto one address, we totally neglect the other address. But the other address supersedes the one in which you are living. I am in this world, but not of this world. I am here wearing a suit, but the suit is not me. I am in this world, but I'm not of this world. In John chapter 3, Jesus came and spoke to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, let me tell you something. He said, no one has ever descended, no, ascended into heaven, but he who came down from heaven, the son of man, who is in heaven. You missed it. You missed it. 
Here's Jesus speaking in the realm of the physical to Nicodemus. He said, no one has ever ascended to heaven except him, the son of man, who came down from heaven. Came down, past tense. So he's already came down. Comma, who is in heaven? So I already came down, but I'm still in heaven. Oh, I don't know if you got it. I already came down from heaven, but I'm in, I'm in heaven. Two residences. I'm in this world, but not of it. Don't even think about nailing me down to Jerusalem. Don't even think about localizing me to Bethlehem. Don't even think that I am just from Gonet County. No, 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 no. I am in it, but not of it. The son of mine, who came down from heaven, past tense, I already came down, but I am in heaven. Where are you this morning? Because where you are determines what you see. Where you are determines what you see. Where you are determines what you see. That is very, very, very critical. This afternoon, all over football stadiums in the United States, you're going to have coaches who are paid a million dollars. They are not going to stand or sit at the sidelines because they understand from the sidelines they are limiting their view. So they are paid, and they will climb up way up higher above the field level from which they'll be calling plays down to the side coaches on the sideline who now relays the plays back to the players. Why? They have a different perspective. They are in the stadium, but not off the stadium. And I'm saying to you this morning, God wants you and I to understand that we are in the world, but not of the world. We need to get that message because there's a rest, the Bible says, that is waiting for the people of God and that we must labor to enter into that rest. It sounds like an oxymoron. How can I be resting and laboring at the same time? You don't understand. It's a different kind of labor. It's not a sweat. It's not a stressful. It's not a pressure. It's not anxiety. It's not fear. It's not being afraid. This pressure, this pressing, this laboring to enter is not talking about circumstances. It's talking about a person. God wants to bring you and I not into circumstances, but into a knowledge of one person. Because this one person is a package deal. We cannot preach enough of David. Because last week, we started to talk about Psalm 23. But you need to understand... <laughs> That in order for us to really grasp it, I need to go back a little, to this, a little this, this afternoon. There is no way we can fully grasp it if we don't go back a little bit. Ah, no, 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 no. Now every day I have a greater appreciation for why God loved that man so much. In spite of who he was, in spite of his failures, in spite of his shortcomings. He was a man who understood the heart of God. Like Jesus, he lived in two worlds. 
Like Jesus. If you read Psalms 110, verse 1, listen to what it says. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit down at my footstool until I make your enemies. Put your enemies under your feet. Have you ever, did you hear what I just said? The Lord said to my Lord. Which Lord is speaking to what Lord? Put it on the board for me. Psalms 110 verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord. So if the Lord was speaking to the Lord, what's David doing there? How did he hear what the Lord is saying to the Lord? You didn't get it. The Lord said to my Lord. So nobody was talking to David. Nobody. David was telling us what he heard. He was just there listening to a conversation between the Lord and the Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Question, how did David hear it? Where did the conversation take place? Was it in Jerusalem? It could not be. Because the Lord was speaking to my Lord. So even though David lived in the Old Testament days, he lived in a timetable. He lived in a calendar. He lived in a timeline of Old Testament. Yet, like Jesus, he also had a presence in the heavenlies. Whereby he was able to tap in to what was going on in the heaven. And I'm saying to you this morning, if you and I can hear what God is saying to God. If you can hear God bragging about you. If you can hear God, like he was talking about Job, say, ha, ah, you don't know my son. If you know what I've done, if you know what I've placed in him, if you can ever hear God talk about you, brag about you, and telling the devil the things he has already accomplished in you, if you can hear it, you have a swag in your movement. Because now you know it is done. It is settled. I'm made. I'm complete. I'm perfected. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm on my way somewhere. I am prosperous. I am favored. I'm, I'm on my heart. Oh, hallelujah! The Lord said to my Lord. So David, like Jesus, lived in one era and saw the other. If David could do that in Old Testament days, what is available to us now? Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's go back to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it goes on and on and on until the sixth verse. But you know, during the week as I looked at that passage, I recognized there was no way for you and I to have a full appreciation of what David was saying, except we understand shepherds in David's day. So please go with me to Ezekiel 34. Let me read a couple of verses. And then we're going to... I'm almost done. 
I just want you to see heaven today. I want your eyes to be opened. Like Elisha told his servant. He said, those that be for us, it's more than them that are against us. This servant couldn't understand that. Master, what are you saying? I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Fifty people against us, and you're saying it's just two of us. Fifty are against two, and you're saying there's more than for us? Master, wait a minute. Did you take Benadryl? <laughs> I mean, how can you possibly say those that are for us is more than those that are against us, and I'm counting how many people are on the ground. It's just two of us versus 50 people. Elisha just smiled. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. What am I talking about? There's a heavenly perspective. If you just catch and see what's already happening in the heavenly, you understand that what you're looking at in the physical is not, nothing but bread. So here is Ezekiel 34, verse 1. This is important for us in order to appreciate Psalm 23. I have to go back here to move forward. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the, with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound the broken, nor brought back that which was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over all the face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely, because my flock became a prey, and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock. But the shepherds fed themselves, and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. Let me move over to verse 13. Verse 13, same chapter, Ezekiel 34, verse 13. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And we bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in all its inhabited places of the country. Oh, no, no, no. Verse 11. I shouldn't miss that. I will, I will, verse 11. Thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search out for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. Verse 23. Verse 23. Verse 23, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them, and be their shepherd. 
So what I'm saying to us is this. You cannot fully appreciate what David is saying in Psalm 23 if you don't understand the prevailing condition in the time that David was writing. You see, when you read Psalm 23, when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We read it so quickly, and we assume that every shepherd that was around did the things that he was supposed to do. We do not understand God's commentary of shepherds up till that time. There were shepherds in that day who were not reliable. There were shepherds in that day who did not feed the flock. There were shepherds in that day who did not provide for their flock. There were shepherds in that day who did not protect their flock. Those were the ones that God was speaking to in Ezekiel 34. So when David came on the scene, having been a shepherd himself and having cared for sheep himself, now he now says, okay, you know what? I cared for sheep. Now I'm one being cared for. So it stands in two worlds, the world of the Old Testament. And in one swift, he looks back to Noah, a faithful, righteous preacher, but he was not a shepherd. He looked at Abraham, a man of faith and father of faith, a friend of God, but not a shepherd. He looked at Moses, a man whom God described as the meekest man on the face of the earth, but no, he was not a shepherd. He looked at Joshua, the captain of the armies of Israel, who led them to battle and gave them their inheritance and said, no, he was a great man, but definitely not a shepherd. He looked at Boaz, the king's man redeemer. He said, yeah, you redeem Ruth. Nevertheless, you are not a shepherd. He looked at Samuel, who was the anointer of kings, who must have poured oil even on his own head. He said, yes, Samuel, you are a man of integrity, but definitely not a shepherd. He looked at Ezra, the faithful priest of God in the Old Testament, and said, no, 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 no. You are faithful in your priesthood, but you are not a shepherd. He looked at Nehemiah, the, cops, the king's cupbearer, one that the king trusted so much, and said, no, you are not a shepherd. Looked at King Solomon, the wisest man on the face of the earth, and said, yes, you are a wise man endowed by God, but you are not the shepherd. He looked at Isaiah and all the prophets of his day, all down to the minor prophets. He said, yes, indeed, you men prophesied of another day, of another coming, of a king that was coming. You prophesied of it, but you definitely are not the shepherd. And so David, having looked back, to the past, said, I can't find any that meets this qualification. All of these men were good. They were great in their day. They did good things. They were faithful to their calling. But none of them comes near to this position that I'm about to describe to you because the Lord is my shepherd. Not like Noah, not like Abraham, not like Joshua, not like Nehemiah, not like Israel, not like Samuel, not like anybody else because with those men, there were things you could find in them, that you could find fault in them. There were deficiencies in their ministry you can point to. But if I'm to find a shepherd, it has to be the one who is my Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. God himself came in John chapter 10 verse 11. Jesus stepped in the sin. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, my sheep know my voice and I know them by name. Hallelujah. This is not Abraham. Abraham don't know my name. Abraham don't know my voice, but the good shepherd does. I am the good shepherd, he says. 
He that calls him the chief shepherd. Another translation says in Hebrews 13, he is the great shepherd. So you have the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, all describing one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what David packaged together. I am looking for a shepherd, but not like Abraham, not like Noah, not like Nehemiah, not like anyone else that has ever lived. The Lord God Almighty is my shepherd. Hallelujah. You have got to resolve that. You have to settle that. Listen to what it says. The Lord is, 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 not was, not last week, not last year, not last week's testimony, ever present continuous. The Lord is, is presently my shepherd. He's presently my God. He's presently in charge of my life. He's presently ruling over me. Not what he did last year. Thank God for last year. Thank God for year before. Thank God for last week. Thank God for, for last month. But today is a new day. Where are you in your relationship with God today? Where are you? You walk with him now. The Lord is 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 present tense continuous right now the lord is my shepherd because if you don't resolve that you don't get to the next sentence that's the key that's the problem he did not say the lord is a shepherd and i would have been right if he said so he took it further than that. The Lord is not a shepherd. Yes, he shepherds a flock. We know that. But he took it personal. How personal is God to you? Because you think he delivers. He's not delivering to congregation. Even though he blesses congregation. It takes a personal knowledge, experiential knowledge to say what David said. He knew that he knew that he knew. He wasn't reading somebody's testimony. I just gave it David's testimony. What happened to him in Maryland? I gave you a testimony of what happened somewhere in this congregation. David is not talking about that. The Lord, the great God of the universe, the one that spoke the world into existence. The Jehovah who is, who was, who is, who is to come. The author and the finisher, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The Lord God is not just a shepherd, it's man. I don't know about your shepherd, but I can tell you who my shepherd is. You may name Abraham. You may name Moses. You may call Nehemiah. You may call Ezra. But let me tell you who my Lord is. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you, can you hear his confidence? Can you hear his, his, I don't want to call it arrogance. I want to call it confidence. The Lord is my shepherd. Almost like, who's your shepherd? Almost asking you the question, oh, the Lord is my shepherd. How about yours? Because if we don't resolve that, we'll just be speaking lip service with no manifestation. It cannot be a last week's result. It has to be ever-present, vibrant relationship. The Lord will define who that is. Not the likes of Abraham or Isaiah. No. Is. Present tense. My. Karen, in case you're wondering. 
is mine. Mine, mine. Don't put him anywhere else. Mine. Personal, possessive pronoun. If anybody's asking, tell them. I said God is my shepherd. You go and find your own. But let it be settled right now. It's my shepherd. And then because I've settled all of those, because I've settled who the Lord is, I've established my present tense relationship with him. I have told the world, it's not just Obama's shepherd. It's not just your shepherd. It's my shepherd. Because I have settled that, now let me tell you what he delivers from me. <laughs> because the Lord is my shepherd. I can announce to the world, I shall not want. I shall. I shall. I, 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 I shall not want. Why? Because I know him. Not only do I know him, I know what he has prepared for me before the foundation of the world. Settled matter. And I'll just pray that you see heaven today. Because the things that cause you and I to lose our peace don't even move heaven. They don't move heaven at all. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down. He make listen, he knows that naturally I will not rest. It is my natural inclination not to rest. I'm naturally wired not to rest. I worry about everything in the realm in which I am. So he has to take it upon himself. Bank, I know you will not rest. So I will not even make, let you make that initiative. He maketh. I, as your shepherd, I will maketh you. I just made my own English. <laughs> he maketh you to lie down. I know you will not rest. So this, you know what I have to do? I have to make you rest. Just like Jesus told his disciples, you need to come apart for a season. They will not come apart. Sheep don't think. Sheep only follow. Sheep are supposed to be dumb. Sheep don't know nothing. So he says, you know what? I know you are sheep. You will not take the initiative to do what you need to do. So I will make you rest. Ah, but I found something out. I found something out that will bless you just now. Philip Keller wrote a book years ago on a shepherd's look at Psalm 23. And he gave four points upon which, if they are not fulfilled, sheep will never rest. And it helps me to understand why God said, I make you to rest. He, he makes you to lie down. He has to make you. Because sheep ordinarily, if these four things are not fulfilled, they will not rest. Point number one. Sheep naturally are timid animals and therefore have tendency to be afraid. So when they are afraid, they will not rest. Many of you are here right now. Fear will not let you sleep. Fear will not let you rest. You are afraid you will lose your house. You are afraid you will lose your car. You are afraid your child that is healthy will die. I don't know why you think of such a thing. You are afraid your husband will leave. You are afraid your wife will leave. Things have not happened. You are already afraid of them now. And because of that, you don't rest. Sheep are timid. They will never rest when they are afraid. Secondly, 
sheep, because they are social animals. They do not rest when there's friction. If there's friction among sheep, they don't rest. Some of you are here right now. <laughs> you, 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 you can't even come to church because you're afraid you're going to see Mrs. So-so-and-so or Mr. So-so-and-so. You cannot rest. You cannot relax. You can't be at ease. You cannot come to your father's house because you're afraid you, end, you run into this man or that woman and they just rob you of your rest. Relationships. Sheep will not rest when there's friction. So number one, where there is fear, they do not rest. Number two, they do not rest when there's friction. Number three, sheep do not rest <laughs> when they are hungry. They do not rest when they are hungry. I think all of us can, can relate to that. If you are too old to relate to that, find a, a baby. You put that baby to bed when, when the stomach is not full. See what will happen. That baby will cry forever until you put that feeling bottle in your Just take the bottle and sh shut up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Amen. Mr. Richard, uh, uh, he, he knows that. He has a baby, so he can, he can, he can relate to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fear will not let them rest. Friction will not let them rest. Hunger will not let them rest. And last but not the least, in a natural uh, flocking environment, anytime there are flies or parasites, flies or parasites, they will not rest. What does that translate to? Demonic activity. Flies or parasites. Something trying to suck your life away from you. That's a parasite. Something trying to live the life that's only meant for you alone to live. They want to parasite it and take it and suck it out. That's a parasite. Four circumstances where a ship will not rest. So now, Bring that into what David just said. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Meaning, he's telling you that God has already taken care of your fear. He's taking care of your friction. He's taking care of your hunger. He's taking care of all demonic forces that will come to mitigate against you resting. He has taken care of it. That's why he can say, rest. Be at ease. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheers. Why are you losing your faith because of these things? It maketh me to lie down in green pastures. It leadeth me beside still waters. Please notice, in all of these things, who is taking the initiative? God. He's the one leading. He leadeth. You don't know where to go. You're a sheep. You're not supposed to know. He said, just keep your eyes on me. Don't worry about your GPS. Don't worry about your Yahoo map. Don't worry about Google. Just keep your eyes on me. I am leading you. You may not know where you're going. You may not know how long it will take. But because I'm leading you, I'm supplying the resource for this journey. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Why is this important? This is important because in the next sentence, yea, though, I walk through the valley of the shadows of death. Pause and ask yourself the question. If I'm in the valley of the shadow of 
death. Who led me there? He has already told you, I'm the one leading you. In the path of righteousness. For my name's sake. So in this leading, and in this journey, if from time to time, I take you to valleys of shadow of death, and you already know that you're making eye contact with me, if the valley don't take me out, how can it take you out? Yeah, yeah. He leads me. Yes. Bank, why are you in this valley? God led me in there. Bank, why are you here? The Lord led me here. Why you would not lose your peace, bank? God led me here. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. I want you to see heaven this afternoon. I want you to see what God is doing for you this afternoon. You may be in the valley. Remember, you are not packed there. You are not living there. Yet though I walk through, I'm walking through it. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care how tough it is. I'm walking through. I'm not packing. I'm not stopping. I'm going through it. I'm going to go through it. That's an assurance. I'll not only go through it, but I'll come out of it. Hallelujah. Why? Because the one that led me in it is the one that will take me out of it. Hallelujah. I'm about to shout myself happy this afternoon. Glory be to God. Why are we afraid of valleys? We are dealing with a God that has conquered death itself and put death in his pocket. I am leading you in a path of righteousness for my namesake. How? What do you mean for your namesake? You see, because Charles, after you've been through the valley and all the detractors who are looking down on you at the valley. Say, look at Charles. <laughs> look at him in the valley. Oh, he's going to expire in a few days. After a while, when they see you come out on the other side of that valley with radiance and glory and prosperity and the presence of God, they're going to have to say, wait a minute, am I still wrong? Like the king in the book of Daniel who threw Daniel in the lion's den and was expecting his demise. And after a while, he said, wait a minute, I'm seeing something here like a fourth person in this fire. That, oh my God. They may put you in the den, but they can't keep you there. He leadeth you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? They are with me. Notice that. Art with me. Present tense. He wasn't with me. He is with me. He is with me. Oh my God, that thief on the cross got a revelation. When you enter into a paradise, all I want is just to be with you. Jesus said, you know what? Today, this day, you'll be with me. With, with, where I am, there you are. Where I am, there you are. I've got to close. I said something very controversial last week. I want to emphasize it. I want to make the devil murder. Yeah. 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 Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What? When I'm in church, he follows me. 
When I'm praying, it's following me. When I'm fasting, it's following me. Are you still, you're still saying yes now. Amen. Amen. I'm about to enter, enter some dangerous territories. When I go to the crack house, You don't know God yet. Because you are trying to you are trying to fit God into your image of who God is. When I go in the crack house, his goodness and mercy follows me. When I go into the whole house, yes, I know, I know, I know what I said. His goodness and mercy follows me. You say, Pastor, now this is way too much. I hear you. Can I give you scriptures? Because David said, if I make my bed in hell, and as far as I know, hell is worse than going to the crack house. Somebody said, Pastor, are you encouraging us to go to the crack house or the whole house? No, you didn't hear what I just said. You didn't hear anything about this Lord. You did not hear anything about this shepherd I just described to you. Because when you fall in love with him and you ever go to those places, you run back to him. Let me give an example. Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, a son who was loved, who was beloved, who received the goods from his father, went away from the father into riotous living with prostitutes. But something drew him back to his father. The Bible said after many days, his eyes were open to what? He remembered his father's goodness and his father's mercy. And right there where he was, the mercy of the father and the goodness of the father was brought back to his memory. And he said, I must arise. I cannot stay here any longer. I cannot remain in this sin. I cannot remain in this nonsense. I've got to arise. I have a father that is bigger than this circumstance. I have a father who loves me. I have a father. I must arise and go unto my father. That's what goodness does. The goodness and the mercy of God does not keep you in sin. The goodness and the mercy of God brings you out of sin. It causes you to change your mind about sin. It causes you to see the beauty of holiness. It causes you to go nearer to your father. Oh, hallelujah. That's what David is talking about. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Do you want to tell me that God that loved you when you were a hater? Watch this. See how religious we are. Romans 8 says, For God so commended his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as a sinner, I'm able to appreciate God's goodness. He died for me. He did not look at me and, and give me a report sheet hard. And, hey, when you had second grade, look at what you did wrong. Seventh grade. Have you ever wondered when the prodigal son returned, why the father never asked him, where were you? Have you ever wondered why he did not ask him, well, what have you been doing with my resources? Have you ever wondered while he was yet aware of, the Bible said the father saw him. How did he see him? Because his goodness and his mercy 
were never withdrawn. How many of you parents here, God forbid, God forbid, that your son will commit a murder? And then you will say, because he committed a murder. I, I will not, I will, I've never heard it. On TV, day after day, this has happened. And the parents say, he's a good child. He's a young boy. He's, he's, he never hurts anybody. All the time, all the parents always fight for their kids. All the time. No matter how heinous a crime they committed, they will come to public TV. We regret that this happened. However, John Doe was a good boy. We don't know what happened, why he went wrong, but he's a real good boy, loves everybody, never gives anybody. All the time. I'm yet to find a parent that said, let him go to the cross. He's terrible. He's the son of the devil. Not one time. Not one time. If you and I, being evil, knows how to support our children. How much more God? Folks, this is the essence of the good news. The good news is that the goodness of God leads men to repentance. No, we are not saying to remain in sin. God forbid. That's not the point. That's not the point. No, never. A person why did David keep on going back to God? He had understood the extravagance of God's love and therefore could not remain in the outer court. That's the essence of the good news. I'm going to close right now because we cannot finish the message. It's an ongoing message. This way I close. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you? Can you say like David said, the Lord is my shepherd? Is he your shepherd? Because if he's your shepherd, the opposite is also true. Not only is the Lord your shepherd, the shepherd is your Lord. Is, present tense. Is there anyone here today say, Pastor, I need to be restored back in relationship with God. I'm angry at God.